get started, uh, I'm Greg Randolph, the president of the National Academy, and we're really to have such a great, uh, a great packed group. Uh, the reason we're in this room, this is a great room, but we, we wish we could have brought you through the museum. We're putting on the Christo show here. Uh, that will be up very soon, and everybody, I think, has a flyer and a chair. Uh, we want you to look at that and come back to the exhibitions. The Academy is uh, 108 years old. It was founded in 1825 by Samuel F. B. Morrison. This is the oldest artist-run organization in the United States. There's 370-odd, some of them are odd, uh, <laughs> academicians. And I include myself, I guess, to be fair. Uh, some of them are here tonight. And uh, they represent painting and printmaking, architecture, and sculpture. Those were the things that were set out in 1825. And uh, under that umbrella, we have a museum and a school and uh, a great staff that works very hard uh, with the academicians to make this place really hot. We've worked very hard the last few years uh, to try to invigorate and bring this institution uh, not only up visually, but bring great shows in. And I hope you've been around to see some of the shows. Uh, we've, uh, and at the risk of flattering people here, and I don't mean to, but we've been garnering a lot of press attention for the first time in a long time. I think it's because of all of the shows. Uh, we had some great shows, like uh, the Edward Dickinson show, the Louis Alcini show, the Inch show last year. We're doing an invitational of non-academicians every other year. We gave away about 100. $49,000 in May to non-academicians in the art, art community here. So this is a great, uh, it's an artist-run deal. It makes it very special, and we're happy to have uh, a great audience uh, for you. Now, you can take a look. Uh, there are a couple more days for the uh, print show that we have on the, uh, uh, on the fourth floor. Uh, it's part of the prints from our collection, and additionally, we have a show that's curated by uh, one of our curators. Uh, Mark Mitchell has curated a show called um, into the Storm, which is our storm-related landscape paintings from our collection. We have many thousand pieces in our collection. Uh, so that show is up for a, a couple more weeks. The print show is up for only a couple more days. And the rest, I'll leave to your, your reading. Uh, highlights, on um, the 12th, we're opening Christo and Jean-Claude, which is uh, the drawings from the Word Museum collection. Uh, we have a really interesting project that opens on the 26th called the Photorealist Project by a very hot young uh, artist Xavier Veillon, uh, uh, who is uh, installing, well, you can read about it, I'm not going to go into it too much. We have a drawing show that's curated by one of our academicians who work on shooting out William Bailey. And uh, then the Jewel in the Crown is in the spring. We're doing a, we're originating a show with our chief curator, Isabelle Delfaux, who unfortunately is here tonight, on Surrealism USA. So it's going to be a really neat, great installation and a really provocative show. So we hope you come back and come in and remember that artists are at the heart of this place. Um, David Cohen came to Susan Shatter, who's the treasurer here, and works with me very closely. On, we worked together on some of the programming and had some ideas a couple of years ago to do this, this very thing, a review panel. Uh, we're very excited to be co-sponsoring with ArtCritical.com and to be hosting it in our space. Um, David, you may know, is the editor and publisher of ArtCritical.com. He's an art critic at the New York Sun and a gallery director of the New York Studio School, where you may also have witnessed many of his interviews with members of the critical community for the last few years. So we want to welcome David, and we welcome our guest today. Thanks for coming, David. Well, Gregory, thank you very much for such a warm introduction. I, I can't express how touched I am by, by all the incredible work that, that you and Susan 
the Academy uh, with its executive director, Annette Blaugrund, and a special thank you to the press um, officer, Kathleen Brady, have done to make such an incredible uh, turnout possible for the first in a projected new series um, of discussions, the review panel. Um, I, so many of you are here that it must indicate that you know what the format is, what's special and different about this. This is not a theoretical discussion on some um, obtuse or uh, abstract uh, notion or principle. This is four working critics um, hammering it out and talking among themselves, um, reviewing four actual exhibitions. And to make the event really possible, to make it really work, you, the audience, are participatory in the sense that you have, I hope, all seen or made your best effort to see the exhibitions we're talking about. That enables us to get beyond um, a mere description and, um, and, to, and to really analyze and evaluate and, and debate and see where we have consensus on, on issues of meaning and quality and to have, hopefully, um, some, some learned or some, some inspired uh, discourse on, on, on these subjects. Um, Great pleasure to introduce the panel. On my far right, uh, Ken Johnson, art critic for the New York Times. He's a contributing editor at Art in America and is formerly visiting professor of art criticism at uh, the State University of New York at Albany. Maureen Mulaki is art critic for the New York Sun and contributing editor at artcritical.com. She's a working painter with a long history of writing about art and culture in such publications as uh, Arts Magazine, The Nation, Hudson Review, Commonweal, and The New York Times. And as a painter, she's represented by Rittenhouse Fine Art and by the Moore Gallery. And Jerry Saltz is senior art critic at The Village Voice. His collection of writings of, of criticism, Seeing Out Loud, was published in 2003, and he teaches at Columbia, the School of Visual Arts, and the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, our panel. Um, as I say, you have all heroically trodden the uh, streets of West 57th Street and Chelsea to see these exhibitions, but just to refresh us on the imagery that we'll be talking about this evening, um, a, quick, a quick PowerPoint of, of some, some of the images, and to go with them in a voice uh, other than my own, I'm going to read some little paragraphs from the press releases or the exhibition catalogues, which, in the words of the galleries themselves, um, give some representation to the shows. This is from the press release of the uh, Justin Curland exhibition, Songs of Experience, at Gorney, Bravin and Lee, which, quote, evokes the fairy tale archetype in large-scale brooding images of burned-down forests. Although these are Curland's first landscape photos without figures, the forest images manage to maintain their own style of photographic mannerism that is subtle in its construction of reality. The black and white images of knights and maidens expand upon the sense of the Gothic as Curland places people in her classically composed landscapes. The show will also include new color photographs 
that suggests the presence of mysticism in the American landscape. From the Richard Deacon press release at his exhibition of uh, new sculpture um, at um, Marion Goodman Gallery. Richard Deacon is best known for his interest in materials and their manipulation and for his innovative use of open form from which come curvilinear structures with non-rectilinear junctures which have transformed public sculpture. As Deacon says, what seems to me particularly interesting in the rolling, twisting, bending operations with material is that the enclosure or volume created has nothing to do with weight or mass. It is empty and therefore connected to meaning in a way that is independent of causality or rationality. That is to say that the outside is not caused by the inside. Through an articulation of context, language, and interior space, his works are typically autonomous, often separated from the ground by curved points of contact while endorsing an interactive social space. The works currently on view in Bent Wood highlight the artist's virtuosity and his interest in the plasticity with which the material is treated. It's a display table with found objects. From the press release of the Raxdraw Downs New Paintings Exhibition at the, the inaugural exhibition of the new Betty Cunningham Gallery in Chelsea, which is comprised of approximately 30 paintings completed by Downs from 1999 to the present, on site in Marfa, Texas, Liberty State Park, New Jersey, Millennium Park, New Jersey, and Harlem. And Jim Long writes in the catalogue essay, Downs recreates a space through accumulation of descriptive detail rather than assuming space in an ideal composed state. He risks months of work on a painting that may look conventionally wrong. Any reliance on photographic information would appear as a gross error. It is derived from a different system at odds with the syntax he has established. A Downs painting is in constant motion, lively in the way we actually see. Downs likes to relate a favorite passerby comment that his work looked like nobody drew it. The viewer looks at what he is seeing as he paints. It is a painted space similar to the one we are aware of when we are moving, and it dismantles aesthetic myths such as perspective depth, correct composition, and the necessary stability of horizontals and verticals. And lastly, Pipilotti Wrist, for whom I only have three images, alas. Very difficult to represent, of course, a video and still images, but uh, one day we'll get there. In the press release it's written, in the main gallery of this exhibition, Wrist will create a human-scale installation called Herbstzeitloser, Meadow Saffron, or Fall Time Less. This work will continue her interweaving of inside and outside subjectivity and environment. The projections in the space will consist of footage shot in the countryside of her childhood home near St. Gallen in Switzerland. The point of entry into the installation is the back door of a typical Swiss country home where the viewer is invited to sit at the table and take in the vista as well as move around the installation. The work involves a dialogue between mortal and spiritual, 
which Rist then combines in the second gallery with a sculptural video work entitled Grabstein for R.W., Tombstone for R.W. The colour, the movement of the camera and the scale of her works are the vehicles of a dream space where she explores love, eroticism, the body, the senses, nature and psychological and physical space. While often playful and entertaining, the work is simultaneously very personal, poetic and socio-political. So writes the press releaser of the Luring Augustine Gallery in Chelsea. Fantastic. Well, I hope that puts you back in the uh, picture. Now look, I'm going to ask a question just for market research. And please don't be offended or don't, as you do when uh, the political opinion polls call you, tell a fib or because you're embarrassed by the truth. Just tell me, how many of you saw two or more of the exhibitions we're talking about? Wow, that's what we like to see. Great. Was it, so, so, Jerry, was it two or more? <laughs> Justine Curland. Uh, the presence of mysticism in the American landscape. How are we doing with that notion? Uh, did we feel that she's plumbing the depths of the mysticism inherent in American landscape? I, 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 are we reading now from the press release, David, or is this, is this actually your, your, your sense of what she's doing? Because after I listen to the press releases, I think I, I keep thinking of that, that statement by Mallarmé, everyone probably knows it, everything in the cosmos exists to emerge as a book. And I listen to the press releases, and I think everything in the art cosmos exists to emerge as a catalog essay, and that nobody really looks at anything we're really reading things and then projecting onto what we see, what we have read, um, because otherwise, I don't understand why we went to Justine Perlin's show. I mean, I was very obedient. I did my assignment. I went. Yeah, but might, I'm waiting to be told it why. It might help to describe, actually, what the show consisted of, which were um, fairly straight photographs, I think. One set of pictures she, she took in a forest in Oregon after a forest fire, big color pictures, and then another set of black and white portraits of people at a Renaissance fair, people in, uh, dressed in, in uh, medieval costumes, mostly knights in armor. So that's, I, I don't know how you get from there to um, the mysticism of the American landscape, but um, <laughs> maybe we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, I, Jerry. I think it's more the hippie residue in the American landscape yes. that she goes yes. with. Yes. You know, it, it, I don't know that this is what you would call dirty hippie art. This is actually, you feel like she is a gypsy. I'm not really a fan of it, but I actually like the way she's kind of reaching out, doesn't give you a product. You could see her failing here, trying there. I think she has her best feel. You know, did you see those pictures of the groups of people standing around? They look like communes. Mm. I'm not saying those are great photographs, but there's something slightly riveting in them that I was thinking, these people have beliefs. They, they still walk around believing things, where, like George Bush, where we walk around, which is a huge advantage in life, as we can see right now, where we walk around going in paradox. So I think that, I just think that, what's her name? Uh, Curland walks around with a similar gypsy-like paradox in her mind, 
and um, I'm interested in that. How do you um, compare what she's doing now to the early photographs where she uh, staged, more or less staged scenes in uh, the woods with girls? I yeah, like the room in the back room, in the project room, those uh, pregnant women. No, 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 no. Even earlier where well, she had teenage girls kind of frolicking, like runaways in the, in the far, her first, the, the images that sort of made her... Uh, but I feel, I feel the pregnant women kind of harks back to the earlier uh, Curlin that we're well, I'm not, the, the, the ones I'm talking about are, were state, they're fictional. The ones you're yes. referring to, I assume, are documentary. No, I doubt it. I, just, I didn't get the feeling they were documentary. They looked like she'd put an ad for pregnant women to come naked and, and to, 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 to pose for her. No, really, I mean, this is, uh, this is, she's making art. This is, uh, it, it's, it's not quite... Uh, Does anybody know for sure? What, you mean as an anecdotal empirical fact or as something we're observing? The, well, the com- Jerry talked about the communes, that it yes. looked like she went to actual communes where people... Mm. But Maureen seemed like she wanted to yell about something. What, no, 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 Jerry. You, no, I want to hear. No, I, it was. I wanted, I wanted to ask you what it was you thought that she believed. <laughs> what? I mean, I didn't see. I, you, you were talking oh. about belief, and I wonder if that itself wasn't. A I think she's interested in people who believe. That you have these people that like dress up like medieval people. Well, that's sort of ludicrous to somebody like me. But uh, you know, and she finds people that have to be naked and pregnant or communes. Or I don't know what the burned-down forests are. That seemed a bit heavy-handed. But I do know this, that when I went there, and then upstairs a block away, and I saw the Sam Taylor Wood art show. Did you see that show? To me, that's insanely uh, shallow. The crying Uh, man. uh, There's crying man. She's hanging around. Uh, It's so literal-minded, so packaged, so sure of itself, that I couldn't help thinking, well... You know, I'll take the messy, not-so-good Curland who's striking out and failing from time to time as opposed to this perfect package of movie stars crying. So that's what I thought was okay about her, and I also think that she's escaped, you know, a bit of the, the sort of Ecole de Yale uh, photography thing. Yes, the big, sad-looking women in ugly rooms, yeah. But the point is that um, I think if, we, if she was a painter... If she was a painter and she had some pregnant women uh, in the landscape or um, some, some people dressing up as knights in armor, uh, nobody would say, well, she's documenting this or are these real or uh, are they, was it staged or was it a real commune? It's only because of the medium of photography and with it the kind of connotations of documentation that uh, we're even asking the question. This is art. It's, these are very big photographs. These are not, uh, this is not journalism. So let, let's not even bother about saying, does anybody know if... Uh, it's a real commune or a staged commune. All we know is what we see, no? And if, and if, and, and if some of this weren't paint, you would find it risible. So mm. why is it interesting as a photograph? Well, th- I mean, photography necessarily, you can't ignore that question with photography. If, if, it, if it makes you doubt, then that becomes part of what it's, what it's about. But... Um, you know, Danny Lyons photographing. There's a whole history of, of people photographing subcultures yes. in, in photography that, that I connect this work up, that I can't help but connect this work up to. And when she first emerged a... doing <coughs> fictional mm-hmm. uh, scenarios, that mm-hmm. was kind of... But excuse me, there's a whole history going back to Julia Margaret Cameron of people dressing up as medieval knights. So why is that tradition any less valid in this case? Why is, why is she less fiction? Why is she any more... Less because in this case, it is... A, it, I mean, I don't know what 
Cameron wasn't, there weren't Renaissance fairs and, and mm. people who did reenact, reenactors, Civil War reenactors and that kind mm. of thing. That's like an American, a phenomenon of American culture. Mm. That, well, we, we all know that the, she's sort of more or less mm. documenting, but mm. le leaving vague as to right. what, what the, see, to me, it's too vague. It's like leaves a lot to the imagination of the viewer to connect up the forest with the medieval night and then leave unspoken what the, where these knights came from, what, what their, their it's actual big. reality is. Like, yeah. I mean, Diana Arbus, you, you know the, the, act, the reality, the gritty reality, the weird reality of people, in, of American people. And, but uh, don't we know it because of the authority inherent in the photograph, not because of uh, art historical anecdotal fact? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I don't think they're very good photographs, but... Um, Arbus or Curlin? Curlin. Curlin, right. <laughs> No, I, I actually, you had made a, a comment in your review that I really liked. You, you, you made a Speaking reference to Monty Python, which is the first thing I thought of when I, oh. Um, Monty Python. Um, it, it was in Ken's review. And I thought that was just super, because that was my same, my same reaction, that we were really watching something that, that if, if this woman either had had either a sense of irony uh, or even a greater sense of myth, um, both. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. But yeah. I mean, both things were missing. Mm -hmm. She had no sense of humor, no sense of myth. And, and, and what, to me, I thought there was just an undergraduate kind of quality to the whole thing, but undergraduate in the way that with you know, someone production. with a Yale degree is, is undergraduate with that literary patina that lends a kind of pseudo-profundity to, 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 to thin air. Thin air. Yeah, I, I noticed something. Yeah. I, I that's, find that's not untrue, what she's saying. Does, 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 you know. We're, we're bad or mad? <coughs> we'll, we'll, we're really looking forward to uh, we're really, really looking forward to some audience participation a little later in the evening. <coughs> Technically. So and so. And that's yours? Walter. We really want to hear Walter, from you at the end. I love Walter. We all love Walter, but we all want to hear from all of you at the end. There's been plenty of time for for hearing from the audience. Uh, but what I, something that really struck me, actually, talking about her not being a good photographer and not having a sense of myth, actually, is that the color photography, this is a, maybe just, this is, maybe it's a banal technical thing, maybe it's not. I think because of the, ironically, I think that color has greater artifice than black and white, despite the fact that the world is color, not black and white, precisely because of the documentary connotations of black and white. Precisely, uh, but but the, the color photography of of, of uh, Curland has has much more uh, body and uh, presence and lusciousness and a sense of artifice, and those rather complex figure compositions, the bathers, uh, the the people with the cabin, um, and certainly the earlier work with those uh, frolicking nymphs, um, to me are much more substantial than than the, the single black and white ones, which are. Uh, particularly full-on and pointless-seeming. Jerry? I think I don't have any more to say about Curlin. Yeah. I mean, I feel terrible. I mean, I do, I, unless, should you guys jump in and... and Jerry, let me moderate. Yeah. Let me... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just sense everybody's frustrated with the Curlin business. See, I told you. I don't know. I tell you what, my intention was to take a break uh, from us every couple of shows and bring in the audience, but I... Uh, I'm nothing if not uh, flexible. So um, let's let's uh, let's have a, a, a couple of moments at the end of each uh, 
segment for, for, for the audience to really let off steam. Does anyone want to give us a passionate defense of Curlin that, that we four jaundiced voices have missed? It's not a defense, but you mentioned something about a nostalgic American landscape, and I did not see the show, but in the PowerPoint, you mentioned the images. What I saw immediately was 19th century takeoff of Aikens and Sargent. Oh, yeah. We, I forgot so, to mention that. I thought of that. You forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I did. And, um, so it does <laughs> have, um, for me, a nostalgic feeling about the Aikens and the As Aikens did, yeah. Uh, I think photographers now using paintings as subject. Well, that's, that, that vindicates, I mean, that completely, I think, accords with my notion that, you know, forget documentation unless the artist wants to give the work the aura of the document. We're in an art gallery, we're looking at these big images. She happens to use a camera rather than a paintbrush, but that's in a way her business, and it's, you know, that's where we are. Anyone else in the audience uh, on Curland? Um, Walter. I'll, um, I'll defend the work in the... Uh, I, I like the work a lot. The, uh, the earlier series, and, and you can see this by looking at the pictures that you actually look at them, are part of a, uh, a kind of amazing documentary project where she went around and discovered all the still existing communes and um, sort of back-to-the-earth communes, ex-hippie communes, and she went to them and she had them present themselves to her for a group portrait. So these are sort of self-identified um, group portraits of these utopian communes. And in, in, in a way, you know, they sort of all failed. I guess the, the utopian community movement is mm -hmm. a uh, failed movement and it has been for its history. And in my mind, a little bit at least of the new works which of the, the um, burned-down forests which I think are beautiful and they speak to myth if you like, they speak to anything you want to see when you look, into, look at a landscape. Uh, personally, I'm not quite sure what they're doing being art objects because who would want to have that on their wall? It's sort of like putting an upside down cross on your wall. It's, it's kind of cursed. In other words, I just think it's a kind of a negative, a scary negative image. And as for the Renaissance Fair imagery, um, that too, I think, if you know anything about your world, you can look at them and you can say, oh, these are photos of people in the Renaissance Fair. They're pretending. It's people having a pretense. And just like the earlier works, when she had groups of young women, and these aren't really woodland nymphs, they're more like um, young women, a tribe, yes. kind of tribe fantasy. And they're pretending also. You know, they're pretending, the Renaissance Fair people are pretending, the commune people, are they pretending or are they real? They're real, but they're pretending. Okay, well, then. thanks. Yeah. yeah. There, no, you're not, but I'm just, I'm just we're losing the momentum. Yeah, so I'm, I'm grateful. I'm going to take one or two very quick more comments on Curlin. The lady here. Um, I'd just like to say that I don't think she really, I think the artist was more after a mood. I don't think she necessarily really was thinking about a journalistic Mysticism is brought up at all. The connection with it being American, I think, is kind of um, 
Yeah, thank you. I don't think we should really uh, belabor. I mean, I, in a way, I'm now beginning to regret bringing in the press releases, and Maureen is right to chastise me for it. I just wanted a neutral, a neutral, a neutral voice other than my own, just to just to rep, just to say the, something. The, the other thing that the thing the thing that I was struck by that that so much in that main gallery, and I think the commune pictures are more interesting. But the main gallery, the effect of it depends on the relationship. Not, not the effect of individual photographs, but the relationship between one, set, one series and another. It's, it's really an installation. So it's the relationship between the yes. burn forest and the nights, which you sort of, like, as a viewer, you can mix up in your mind if you want and, and have something emerge from that. But, I mean, yeah. but I, I'd like to know, can she make a photograph that does that? Yeah. Or is that necessary? Sorry, look, just as a point of discipline, can we... Well, it, it, but I think she did achieve that in that one, I would agree. But I think that's what she's going for. Thanks. Well, can I just ask, thank you, thank you for your so it's, enthusiasm. So she's in a transitional trial. moment. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. Can I just ask, because we're looking at the clock, we've got three shows. I brought in the audience to, to you know, just, if I ask you to, do by all means make one very concise <laughs> comment. Otherwise, it's, we lose our momentum. Okay. <clears throat> I think the consensus there is not so positive on Curland. I think I feel myself to be the least negative about her on the panel, but we'll move on now. I, I didn't hate the work. No? Okay. Well, you, this side of the table had problems, and that side of the problem, table had serious problems. Okay. <laughs> but moving on to something, now for something completely different. No, we're not going to give you... Uh, <laughs> something completely different. Richard Deacon. Never mind what the press release said. <laughs> I love this show. I, 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 I had, I, I've come round to him. I think that this is a, this is a kind of really interesting artist because, art historically, he seems to be trying to resist formalism, but he can't really get away from it. He's, um, he's doing some really extraordinary things with craft, um, but like folding that craft, the industrial craft, back into um, the kind of the meaning and the sensation of the work. Um, that's my, my take. Anybody have a strong, strong view on Deacon? I, I like the show, but it didn't blow my mind. But I, I, uh, I always think of what Peter Sheldahl said something about Deacon that strike, in the early work, I especially think it's true that he has a funny mix of clunkiness and elegance. He said it was like a horse in an Armani suit. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> this new work seems so suave and so kind of smooth to me that it, it doesn't stir me up very much, but I, I like it, you know. So I, I, I'm sort of strongly uh, a medium feeling about it. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't that good a thing, I don't think. Mm -hmm. That's funny, that's funny, because the newer work is, um, I guess, actually more sculpturally confident in many ways than the earlier work, which did have that, that, that charm, but also that ability to really piss one off, that it was so kind of nonchalant with the glue oozing out of the ply and uh, a sense of uh, crappiness combining with... Yeah, I always associate him with Tony Craig, that he seems, mm -hmm. they both seem sort of effortlessly talented in uh, mm -hmm. what they can do with materials, and after you've seen a, few, a bunch of shows, you just, it starts to seem kind of routine, 
the Henry Moore problem? Yeah, maybe so. Um, Maureen, what did you what did you make of Deacon? Oh, interesting. I, I I was actually slightly depressed by it, um, but then I was depressed by several of these, but and, uh, for, for different reasons. The, I, I wasn't so much looking at the work or even experiencing it as art. I kept thinking, with Richard Deacon, you're really out of the realm of art, and this is a corporate showroom, and this is a corporate product. Um, this is, this is, it doesn't matter what Richard Deacon makes or does, um, because this is the Tate brand, uh, and Channel 4 is paying for it, not NBC, British Channel 4. What um, makes it look corporate? What makes it look corporate? Is it's, it the gallery, no, or is it the no, work it's, itself? No, it's the whole phenomenon, somehow, of, of, of Richard Deacon's work that always seems to uh, you know, be something different each time around, almost as if it were just any other commodity that he just, it just simply needs his signature on it. Um, hmm. now, so I really was not responding to the work. I was really responding to tape, the tape brand. I, I, I couldn't get past that. Well, isn't it, isn't it your job as a critic to get past that? I mean, I'm not a critic. I'm just a woman who shows up for work on the art page. It's oh. not the same. Okay. Um, I'm not approaching it from any theoretical basis. Um, would you, what I mean, about, how response. would you compare him to someone like Martin Puryear? Oh, I love Martin Puryear. Um, there's a real emotional content to Martin Puryear's work, and I, and I think that's exactly, it's funny you should say that, Ken, because that's exactly the, who I had in mind when I was looking at Richard Deacon because they're about the same age. I think Deacon's just a few years younger. Hmm. Um, but there's much of Martin Puryear's work that is, is intensely, intensely moving, full of, full of um, really, I think, references to life. And it's not manufactured. It's not press-released, um, especially those early, those early metal works um, that are so beautifully evocative of, of, of every gulag that ever existed. Um, you know, every form of oppression and, 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 and man's inhumanity. I, I, I just don't see, there's nothing for me personally, and it's just me, to get a hold of in Richard Deacon except as a phenomenon um, of, 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 of corporate promotion. That's all. I'm not sure that it's corporate promotion, but I had a hard time getting traction with the pieces as well. I guess I thought, hmm, he's making wood look like rubber. And there's a whole Mobius strip thing here. And I found myself looking more kind of like, oh, well, gee, how did he twist this? How did he do that? And the wholeness of them uh, started to go fairly flat and neutral for me. Um, I am interested in the idea that I think the deadest art of all arts is probably sculpture. If you actually think about it, there's very little sculpture made anymore like this glass, for example, if I made it, that you put in a room and you walk around it and look at it and hate it or like it. Most sculpture that I see, at least, in the art world is uh, like sort of, you know, installation, tableau, stage set. I'm not against that. I'm just saying sculpture is dead, so I'm extremely interested in it for those reasons. So I was really interested in walking around and around the uh, deacon, except it fell into a certain trap that I've been falling into, other art's been falling into for me lately, which is I'm only looking at the parts. And I, I'm not making a hard and fast rule about this, but I've noticed lately when I'm only looking at the parts, it could mean there's a problem with the whole, maybe. And I started to ask myself that with the, um, with the deacons, and, and I sort of was left there. I just kept touching them and wondering how they were made. I like the little found objects, 
but um, he's not out of gas. I actually like the Phoebe Washburn show much, much more at LFL of somebody taking a bunch of wood, putting it together, making a new thing out of it. She doesn't cover her tracks, and I'm really interested in leaving process as part of the product. I mean, I don't, again, it's not a rule. And I liked her sense of color more than his, her sense of scale more than his, her way of putting something new in a room that I couldn't expect, and almost walk around. I do wish I could have been able to walk around it. And I got to go under it, around it. I had a more Mobius experience in this uh, 30-year-old's work. She's not better than Deacon. But that's where I found a much juicier I love the show. I thought that was an extraordinary show. But it was an installation. It's no, very sculptural uh, in, in, in the sense that it's uh, really manipulating the materials and, and giving us the phenomenon of both space and stuff. I, you know, I, I, I was struck... Washburn's at an earlier stage in her career, so she's yeah. in the moment of discovering her idiom, but also at, at this tricky moment when she's starting to like really know what she's doing. Yeah, she, not, developing could be trouble. So she could be in this very much yeah. the same position as Deacon in, yeah. in 15 or 20 years. Or sooner, I mean, much you look sooner. at early Deacon, and he's like discovering, wow, this is wild. A but new the, kind of yeah. way of uh, putting Deacon, awkward Deacon is stuff an, together an, elegantly. Mm -hmm. I think I, I want to kind of bring together Maureen's objection to the corporate product and, and, and Jerry's notion of the death of sculpture in, in relation to uh, Deacon because um, it seems to me he, he is of the generation of Woodrow and Cragg, who you mentioned, and others in Britain who kind of took Arte Povera from Italy, took a kind of postmodern Duchampian aesthetic, but couldn't get out of their system what they claim to hate most, which is the formalism of... Uh, uh, Tony Caro and his, his people. So um, you, you have a very... With Deacon, in, in more than all the others, Deacon seems to really want to make objects. And that comes out not just in, in, in the objects he makes, but in, in the processes that are so much part of the meaning of what he's doing, the adaptation of, of light industrial crafts and, and engineering techniques that are not merely an incidental way to make a nice Baroque-looking sculpture but seem to me conceptually to sort of fold back into the, into the value of the work. But he's making objects, he's making sculpture. Um, and, and Washburn is... The, the reason sculpture is kind of in trouble or dead is because, um, is because when painting was dead, it was because people didn't want to look at flat images on a wall, and they then concluded that anything that wasn't a flat object on a wall was sculpture. And then what happened is when basically anything from installation to performance to whatever was classed as sculpture, so, oh, sculpture's very alive and well because Richard Long's taking a walk in the countryside and that's sculpture. Um, what then happens is that carving and modelling and assemblage decline and evaporate. And that's, that's, what, that's what generates real objects, sculpture. So I was hoping you would explain the, the corporate stuff thing. Well, I guess the corporate stuff is that you get, with, corpor corporations want things and logos. Corporations want logos, and uh, uh, an installation by its nature is diffuse, and a sculptural object that you can walk around and, and embrace in three dimensions uh, gets to that um, logo quality, the product quality. But, but, I mean, didn't, like, Fairfield Porter put out a, uh, you know, a line of commodities that... Uh, you know, evolve from season to season? 
I don't think. So. How, I mean, I'm just, well, I, I'm I don't. Just not, I don't believe. I don't believe deaconess. So you're asking it to the wrong person. You should ask it to Maureen. I mean, what? I'm just not. I'm not necessarily disagreeing. I'm just trying to like get conceptually clear on what marks <laughs> this so conspicuously as corporate, as distinct from some incremental, more soulful evolution of an artist's work. Or, And, and you initially said you, that you, that your identification of the work as corporate didn't have to do with looking at the work, but had to do with something else. And I'm, right, I'm still not quite sure of what that is. The phenomenon of Richard Deacon, I, I said, was larger to me. I mean, than you see the phenomenon of him as similar to the phenomenon of, say, Jeff Koons or Andy Warhol. I, was, um, I wasn't aware oh, that there a, was a Deacon's phenomenon. That's, I guess what. Well, there is a Tate brand. What's the tape brand? It's, brand? I didn't it's, know a, it's it. a good thing to laugh at, and we all do that in the art world, but what do you mean? Yeah, I left too early. What is, is it? Anish Kapoor of that brand also? What is the tape brand? What is the tape brand? Good question. The, I, I, I guess, l let me go back a bit. Um, I think of British art today as really being a media product, um, and it's been a product since, uh, since the um, you know, in the same way that... Um, uh, when was the last time British art was good? Uh, well, it's still good. It's still good. I mean, you, you have you, you have Ian Ugloff, for goodness sakes. You have John Long. Um, How old is Ugloff? Painters. He's dead. Me? Okay, right. I'm died, saying, when was the last... If it isn't good now in this generation, again, this is something critics do, then we are responsible to say, when was the last time it, it was good? No, what I'm talking about is, 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 is British art today being sold to us, like your, 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 YB, your, your, your BYAs, being sold, being sold to us by, by media giants. When, when you look even at the, at, at the trustees of the Tate, a good plurality of them are media people. Um, it's, it's media. It's all when the was it different? Oh, I guess it's not the fault. No, it's not the fault of the art tenure. Well, you know, it's the Tate was founded the by the man who founded Tate and Lyle. But so I, I just can't. The, the, the sweet uh, deal with uh, sugar and with, with the corporations goes back to its outset. But I don't. Deacon is too old to be a YBA. Um, he, he emerged in the late right. 70s, early yeah. 80s. Right. Uh, the YBA is, I think, it's a generation and a phenomenon. half before them. Um, uh, but I, I wonder why we're sort of focusing on the Britishness. I think the, the, the interesting thing is the, is the sculpturalness, which is maybe more of a problem. Uh, uh, other voices are saying, yes, okay, I don't hate them, I don't like, I like them, but um, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a project that's becoming a little tired. Is that the concern? Well, I think it, it, it suggests that it wants to, I mean, you make the wood like into this rubbery ribbon and you do all these kind of, it's sort of wild and crazy. It sort, sort of wants to be wild and crazy sculpture, but it, it kind of doesn't have the... Um, it doesn't go all the way with... You know, if you're going to be... You know, why is it just these na nice natural wood colors? Why not be, uh, uh, follow up the logic of its imagination uh, more... Um, more robustly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he doesn't have to be Paul McCarthy, but... Well, uh, quite. <laughs> yes, why assume because something has exuberance that it's trying to be abject? It may just be trying to be exuberant. I, I think, um, you know, there's but a But that's what I'm saying. It's, it's exuberant seems a little muffled. In, yeah, it seems in a little dry, seems a little hermetic. Well, 
I think his, his, his exuberance has always been dry and hermetic. I think that's part of its sort of value and meaning for me. I mean, he's not. Um, uh, okay, English. we can begin to take in some, a few minutes from the audience on, on Deacon. Uh, can you stand, though, so that we can get your voice and hear you? I was I think he's. I think. I think he's uh, sorting out the tension in himself between structure and and uh, organic feeling. Mm-hmm. Yes, I felt that he almost dramatized such a tension in a caricatural way. And the one piece that I really didn't yeah, like in the show was no, like no, no not they. In the one piece in the show that I really didn't like, which was the display table, which is like a Donald Judd pristine, very beautifully crafted. Uh, a piece of furniture with these Henry Moore-like found objects, the kind of things you'd pick up on the beach if you're a romantic surrealist on an afternoon stroll. And that kind of pitting the organic against the uh, industrial seemed unworthy of his project, where there's actually usually uh, a much subtler and, and, and more uh, suggestive uh, to and fro between um, somebody living and working with uh, uh, 20th century techniques and, and, and a sense of industry... And, and, and somebody with a kind of uh, a, a more abstract, formal sensibility. Uh, um, I felt in the Deacon's sculptural pieces the intention of the stainless steel or the metal that was using to suture the wood as units mm-hmm. to me stopped the flow of the dream of the questioning of the internal space. And he's questioning the inside space versus the outside space versus the form that defines and the question of those two barriers, when he impinged this mechanical structure of joining it, that's where it just, it just mm-hmm. if you want to talk about corporate, it just brought in a whole other language and, and interrupted the dream. That's a good point, and you can oppose that to another, I think, better show by an artist of the same age from the same country, Andrew Lord, a sleeper. He's working with ceramics, but he's really involved with his materials where the patches appear, you feel like he, it's a, a sort of a whole phenomenology to him. Showing and he's where, sti- uh, showing at Paul Kasman on 11th, uh, 10th, uh, 10th Avenue and 27th Street. 
So I think the sleeper show of the month, nobody's going to mention it. He's not going to get any play. But that's a real, somebody still learning from their materials, somebody that doesn't know what they're going to make before they make it. And you can see that happening, that he's generated a machine that generates machines that he can't predict. And they're just little pots. They're just pots. Well, they're big pots. And they're shiny, but, you know, they're still pretty amazing. I find myself really liking in Deacon a quality that I wouldn't expect to like in an artist, and that's that the, the maker and the thinker are often kind of pitted against each other. Uh, and don't ask me why I should like that, but something about that in Deacon makes me a little excited. I, I think the, the hardware is, is there for, partly for erotic purposes. I mean, it's... That's good. They're kind of bondage machines. I'm with that. That's good. I'll, I'll go with that. I can do with a bit of sex, yeah. All right, well... Um, sorry, there are uh, minors present. We need to uh, be careful. Okay. Um, well, the consensus is a little lukewarm on that, but some more enthusiasm again in the middle for, for, for Deacon. Now, I don't think Raxshaw Downs, though he was born in England and has a marvellous accent to prove it, uh, will we'll count as a YBA for both generational or uh, uh, nationality uh, reasons because his entire career is made here in, in the uh, US of A. Um, what do we make of, how do we get on with Raxtor Downs? Anybody? Let me start by just saying strong conservative. Okay, I'm going to just like put it in that box. That's where it lives for me, and I'll come back to that. So why does it have to, I mean, that's provocative. Why does it have to, why does something like that have to be identified as conservative? I think what's radical about it is not how it's made, but how he sees and how he thinks. But I don't think they're physically uh, that radical. I think what's remarkable about them is how much space he gets into such a small space um, I think what's remarkable about them is that he brings up the, how radical the act of seeing really is. So if they were made in a radical way... Or an inventive an way. way. I'm not saying you, all, you have to be cuckoo, and as you would say, Paul McCarthy. I'm just saying in some way that seemed uh, ori more original, newer, uh, uh, more original. Sorry, I think we're hardwired to see things that are original on every level. Otherwise, we'd still be looking at Raphael every day because well, nothing's we, better. Something. Right? Not a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, why are we here? I, I disagree. I disagree with you completely. Of course I want to look at Raphael every day. And Before I came here, I was at the Met. I saw Andrew Ginzel there. I saw people sneaking around there looking at the old work. But we don't need... We have to look at the new, too. We have to look at the new every day, too. Because all art is contemporary. But I find it extraordinary that Jerry could imagine that Raxtraw Downs could arrive at the, radical, the radicalism of his vision without the empiricism and, and doggedness of, of a technique uh, that, that, that he uses. I mean, if he was this kind of loose and gushy expressionist working a bit faster... That and, would be uh, bad. That would be a pretty horrible, that and that would be, be thoroughly unoriginal. That's not original. And he would come nowhere near the conclusions uh, that he does. Also, the thing about, you know, conservative, you say it's conservative. Well, okay, and then you stop and say, well, how conservative? I mean, if it's conservative, it needs to remind me too much of something uh, that I'm too familiar with. It's and the funny thing is that when you actually start uh, analysing Downs, when you get past that initial, oh, it's realistic, 
Um, it's, it's very difficult to see them as actually belonging to any moment other than the present, and the present because the Rexdal Downs made them. Uh, I think they could... Uh, sorry, I was talking too much. You guys go. Um, no, but Jerry, I, well, two things. First, I sort of wonder how we can even use the word radical or apply it to anything anymore, when, when, when anything can go. I mean, I, I don't even know why radical is even a Is category. radical dead? When did radical, radical die? Radical is deader than sculpture. When, when did newness die? No, newness didn't die. And, and, and when you were young. When you were young in 1968, you're saying it stopped. It He's doesn't just stop when you're 27. It keeps, newness is always with us. It'll be here in 100 years. Well, I think, I think but, that, but but are, are, aren't we then thinking of of of, of the new not, in, not in, in fad. A, hold on hold on in a full sense of of looking at it in terms of a, a technique rather than in terms of a sensibility. I mean, you, you see all kinds of new stuff, all kinds of new technology, uh, and the same old same old sensibilities. But the so, sensibility. So they're not okay. new. The sensibility is the new topographics 1970s photography. That, that's his sensibility. That's not no. a bad thing. I love uh, Robert Adams and those guys, but that's his sensibility. There's no getting you, around that. Do, do you know I think you get around it very quickly because you, you, you just began to begin to that's analyze true. images and say that these have got nothing to do with photography. But, uh, uh, but that, that, that's true. They have to do with seeing. That's very true. And seeing I, is always radical. I don't ex- seeing is always new. But I don't accept that they're uninteresting to look at as paintings. I mean, I get right up to them, and I, I, I like to look at they're the surfaces. Wonderful. I feel like the application of the sort of that he loves what he's doing, and that's yes. Yeah. I mean, and I think there's an extraordinary uh, sort of liberty in the world. And he's not just like a formula. <laughs> No, in, in, in painterly terms, I find the, the, uh, the fluctuations in temperature and speed, when you actually get into their own pace, if you walk around the gallery in two minutes and say, oh, yes, okay, uh, conservative, and walk out, you're not going to have the experience of really experiencing um, incredible fluctuations of temperature and speed. I'm kind of repeating myself, but there you are. The, the, Cynthia Ozick has a wonderful story. Um, actually, it's an, it's an essay called the, the Riddle of the Ordinary. Um, and what she is really talking about is the, um, the ordinary, the splendor of ordinary life, ordinary stuff, ordinary sights, and, and just ordinariness is a, uh, is a gift and should not be taken for granted. And, and, and it's for that reason that I love Rex Droga Down's painting. It has nothing to do with the horse race of whether or not he's, um, you know, he's, he's, he's being radical or he's more radical than this one or he's less conservative or more conservative than the other. It is that humility in front of, um, in front of the real world that to me is very rare among painters. I um, love that too. I didn't mean to suggest otherwise. I said, well, look, like I said, strong conservative is really a strong thing. Weak conservative, let me give you an example of that up right now, mm-hmm. a couple of doors away at... Uh, Mary Boone, you have this guy, Will Cotton, painting nudies uh, a la, like, Western saloons or sort of 70s brainy calendar uh, photorealism. That's weak conservative. Strong conservative is a great thing to be. The idea that he is sitting there, that your eye is round and camera planes are flat, and that when you look around, everything's wrong. Every time I look around, I'm always thinking that there's somebody over there and they're not. He gets that in his work. And I think that's very strong and, and very well, extraordinary very and very radical. 
I actually don't think he had to curve the horizon. I think that the uh, the bendiness of space, the irregularity, the way I see spots sometimes when I turn to my left or right, when things are out of focus, that nearsighted people actually don't see peripherally very well. All of that is quite radical, and but not ordinary to me. I think that it's so extraordinary that that makes it radical. I think what's maybe ordinary is the plainness. I don't, know. I don't, no, no, I don't find either of those dimensions interesting in his work. The fisheye view is very... No, fisheye bad. If I were to say one thing to him, I'd say, stop the fisheye, man. And, That's and what I meant by the horizon's curve. And the fact that they're, or they're you know, whatever they're pictures of. I mean, if, if I chose work on the basis of what I liked pictures of, I'd only want to see pictures of naked women. I mean, that's you know, basically. And well, what, go, to, go to Will Coffin then. Yeah. Uh, but I, so I think, I mean, I, want, I come back to what, what I think, the way they're made, the, t- the hand, the quality of paint, and, and taking an, and making illusions. Yeah. I'm making an extraordinary kind of uh, palpable illusion out of something that's also at the same time uh, materially very physical to an up, up close uh, examination. That's, that's amazing to me. It doesn't matter what it's a picture of. Although to me, I like the vents. I mean, I, I sort of, I think the things he chooses to focus on, bridges and things, they're pretty pedestrian. They're pretty, they're, 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 they're art, art cliches, I think. They're, they're ordinary, not in a good way, but, but, the, the, but it doesn't, ma- doesn't matter. You know. that those metallic vents were so beautiful. The color shifts in the gray were so exciting. I, I can't imagine any painter not loving looking at them. Um, the, 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 there was one of those little vent scenes where all of the movement was toward the center, and it just sort of glowed with this beautiful pale, um, um, pale green, pale... Um, I'm, Give me a green. <laughs> I'm getting. I'm getting tired. Lime. All right. Uh, no, 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 no. Starts with a V. Starts with a V. For them. Viridian. Thank you. Viridian. Oh, thanks. Yes. Uh, with a, a pale viridian green. It was absolutely glorious. Um, and it was almost symphonic. And and. Yeah, yeah I want to. I, I want to resist that. the can the the can Maureen line of a kind of. Um, Painterly sumptuousness, that's the reason to like him. Uh, don't worry about the bridges. And, and let's get rid of the fisheye. I, I, think, I think this is uh, suggesting, to, suggesting that what we're getting with Downs is, is merely a confected um, painterly experience. You can't say... To, it's like saying to Cezanne, get rid of the uh, uncertainty and that, that quivering effect, please. And then, and then there'll be better Cezannes. I mean, this guy is oh, seeing... That's not the same. It is absolutely the same. The, 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 the horizon curves because that's how he sees it. And really he looks does. very hard. I don't think he actually sees the fisheye every time. Because I, 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 we know those places. I mean, I just don't believe it. I think it's become a wee bit of a... Of a we, we see it very tip. quickly, and we see and it Cezanne through photographic... see the world the way his paintings look. Nobody well, he did when he was painting. No, he made paintings that looked that way. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, what strikes me about Rackstraw, and once he painted from my loft, he rented my loft on Canal Street and painted out the window, and I thought this is going to be great because we were showing the same gallery and I was going to have a painting on my window by Rax by Down. And it was the most, the painting was great, it was exactly the way it looked and nothing like it looked. Mm-hmm. And it is a total subversion. If he painted in any, I'm just trying to answer Jerry, first of all, I don't think there's any humility in him. 
I'm sorry, I disagree with Maureen. Not, not in him, not in him. Crazy pictures. And the, the most apt thing that, was, that I ever read uh, about Rackstraw's pictures was, uh, was Mark Stevens, who writes for New York Magazine. He said, there's no there there. Mm -hmm. And they're very disturbing in that way. You cannot walk into them. You can't empathize into them. You're, 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 there's no way you can actually find a place. You go into them visually, but there's no way physically you can enter them. I get that haptic sense of where it's called. So they're very psychologically crazy. And I think that has a political dimension to it in terms of the ones in, from Galveston and some of the Meadowlands, some of the older pictures. And I find that extraordinary. You know, I find that that is, is, is really what makes them magical. But if the means were less conservative, then they wouldn't be subversive. In other words, that's the way you're brought in, and then you find that you're totally trapped on You, be, you just have cocaine. We don't want another cocaine. I find them enormously alluring, you know, in that way. There's spaces that really disturb me, though. Not as a fisheye, not as a visual trick, because he doesn't follow one set of rules, like a fisheye lens would. He follows all different rules, so those paths are so diverse. The picture that Mark Stevens put that caption under was a picture from... Uh, like one of the, like Tucson or one of them, Phoenix somewhere, you know, with those intersections going every way, and there was no way, it was everywhere and nowhere. And that, you know, that's a, a very poignant, I think, political idea. Thank you. How old is Rackstraw Bettys? Betty? This dealer, 65? Yes, 65. Pretty um, impressive. Let's have some more from the audience now. Rackstraw, down. Pretty impressive. Audience, did they want to take out this issue? Uh, Vaughn. A short comment, please, well, or a question. I would like to agree with Derek and, and of course, Gregory. It's a, it you know, took me a long time to like Rackstraw's painting. Uh, <laughs> it's not, it's neither that the is has that weight of humility or whatever you, you try to characterize it. It's simply someone who Rackstraw is a very self-conscious painter. I mean, you know, I don't know his very well, but I know that he started out as an abstract painter, and he's a British. I say something about that too. I remember saying something, I think John Constable say before he died, he said, there will be no more painter in England after I die. There's something about his work or his sensibility, who very aware, very self-conscious about making ordinary painting, but more than just you know, subdue the history of pain, even though he's very well aware of it. I think Gregory had that point. They are very weird paintings because it's no longer the division in which he projected on, but also what can you say, the touch, the love in the about the way he painted them. Great. Bong, thanks. Thanks. It's a of all what you have said. I, I'd love to hear Vong talk even further, but can I ask the audience to try and be as uh, brilliantly concise as we're being here on the panel? Uh, but thanks for that, Vong. Another comment, uh, following up, Rob Walter? I, I think you guys have been really bad this time around in explaining what it is about Rackstraw's paintings that you think is so good or so bad. I, you know, that's one show I haven't seen, and I have seen his paintings before. I have no idea, like, what it is you're talking Okay, let's let's take that challenge. Let's take that challenge. It's good to know, but let's let's take it seriously. What is it about his paintings? Obviously, he paints dot work and stuff like this. It's more interesting than naked girls. But he looks right. He looks. He paints like a man. And you experience him in the act of seeing. The act of seeing. 
Is that good? Is that good? No. I, I, I experience that's myself okay. seeing. That's the, that's I'm not so... Thank you very much, Betty. That's Betty Cunningham, his, his agent. Um, <laughs> she is. She's the author. And, 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 and so eloquent that uh, uh, four critics should just pack up and go home or, or, uh, or try to sell something someday and then we'll do a better job. By, by Walter Robinson's standards. You come up. Let's, let's move on to our last artist of the evening. Um, uh, what kind of speed are, are we seeing the landscapes? And we've talked a lot about Britishness. Uh, let's have a little bit about Swissness, and let's, uh, let's, let's see what we make of uh, uh, Pipilotti. Um, uh, Ken. I can't, I can't. I'm scared to talk now. <laughs> Maybe we should, should we just start with uh, by describing what what we've got at stake. At, uh, I think we better hurry. Didn't everybody? <coughs> what we got at stake? Sorry, I, we're on to we're on to wrist, but we can. Is that is that okay? Or what what her work can, what her show consists of? Um, or I, I guess this was a show that left me feeling like I wouldn't really know what to say until I actually had to sit and write about it. That mm -hmm. I haven't got to that that point of crystallizing a thought about it. I, she seemed, to me, she seemed very unfocused and like somebody that's sort of groping around, doing a few things. I like the screaming. Um, Cowgirl. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I, it was one of those things where I'm thinking, I don't quite get this. I, I like being able to sit down and uh, rest for a while. And, uh, she makes a, she, she's like, you know, I, I don't think she'll ever top that, that video where she's smashing the car windows with the, um, what was it she was using, Jerry? The, it's a, a called Red in, Hot Poker. That's the name of the flower. It's a flower, as, but it's a cast iron flower yeah. or something. She's smashing car windows to some, I, I've never seen anything she's done that was more striking or exciting than that. Well, it seems, a, it seems a bit of an indictment. Of a, it seems the whole art world, from what other people are saying, is, is, is the artist's first shot, which uh, may just be a reality we need to get used to. But I, I don't accept that. I, find, I found it a, 
I, a show a show that I could really get something out of, despite uh, having a, a profound degree of scepticism about its medium. At the same time, I found uh, a lot of it to be rather uh, trite and, and, and preposterous, particularly the kind of uh, uh, cliched Swissness that was being uh, uh, paraded. Uh, at the same time, that these very gorgeous little... Ab- she seemed to be hedging her bets. You could, you could get what she wanted by choosing the wall to look at. At one wall, you, as you say, you've got that screaming and the, the cowgirl who starts as a blonde and who I think is uh, the artist and transmogrifies into an African. Uh, then if you look straight ahead of you, uh, you get these uh, Swiss tourist board kind of uh, take on, on the Swiss landscape. But then on the left, there's this very ethereal, abstract kind of thing going on. I find myself looking at that wall the most and I enjoyed the music. But... Um, did I come away with it with a really a profound sense that I'm going to look at the landscape in a new way? Which, frankly, with Rackstraw Downs, I do have. I find him to be a, a philosopher. I find him to be like a philosopher who forces me to slow down and think, and that to me is is a is a is a, is a great great virtue in art. Um, I'm not going to go out and rethink Switzerland. I don't think. <laughs> On the other hand, you get the feeling. You get the feeling with Pippi Ross, Pippi Lotti. I got the, exactly the feeling I used to enjoy uh, sitting, looking at the mountains in, in Lugano or, or, or Basel, of, of thinking it's very beautiful but, but not quite right. I just, I just, I just, when I walked in, the thing that came to me immediately was um, the real Fahrenheit 451, the Ray Bradbury story. Because in that story, nobody, nobody can read books because books are, books are too, they have ideas, they're too upsetting. Um, so people instead have whole walls that are screens. And I think the main character's wife has one, one, one wall that's a screen, and her ambition is to have all four walls a screen. Um, and they're interactive, and you can, you know, you can really uh, lose yourself in this sort of um, unreality. And it really depressed me. I walked out of there thinking that sometimes, sometimes art is a kind of a kind of non-pharmacological opium den. <laughs> and, and that what I was really in was an opium den for and our that, time. I would yeah. like that. You know, and that's oh, what yeah. I loved about that show. I have to say, since you hate me, <laughs> I have to be honest about it, because I was thinking maybe I better stand back here and pretend. In Chelsea, right now, I... <laughs> I would say that was, I guess it's my favorite show up. Why? Okay, it's, it's very Bjorky and forced. I, and it's, it's, again, the hippie thing is way over the top, and it's unfocused, and it's a mess. Okay? I know that. An awful mess? A contrived mess? But I want a couple of things. Most dark rooms that I walk in in the art world, I walk in so happy, and then when it's dark, I get so depressed. And most of these video shows, you go to the Wilson show at 303, I've been following them for who knows how long. I was depressed in there, you know? And I was in the Pippalotti Riss show, best name in the art world, um, <laughs> thinking, first of all, she has this really velvety touch with video. That it's very swoony, velvety, that nobody has the choreography of the camera like her, like that I forgot tank. that I would, like a fish tank can be. I love fish tanks. I don't own one, but I love them. I want to get one of those on my screensaver. I like her. This was a big I like her sense. I'll be done in a second. I like her sense of choreography a lot, of scale shifts, of dreaminess. She has a fantastic, almost sixth sonic sense 
of music, soundscape. I'm not saying she's a genius, but she just carried me away. This isn't her best work. I think that's absolutely true. It is better than her last uh, 2000 installation. Oh, I love that show. In this, we, we hate each other. I think it's know, painterly. It's, like, it's unbelievable. But for the same reason, because it's the painterliness of it. I thought, I, I, that filled, that, too many the room was really filled. Oh, well, you can't, but you know too that, many, but she, that's what it is. The video landscape show that did it for me was Wolfgang's Stale uh -huh. Postmaster. Yeah, that was pretty dreamy, surprising, like a painting. Yeah. Did you hate that? No, I liked it. I don't I know. I feel like we're from different worlds. We are. We probably are. Jerry. We are. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here you thinking. Know, you have your own world. You think everybody's in it, and then somebody votes for George <laughs> That's Bush. Right. That's right. You know that. Not that, you. That somehow, somehow, even, even, even listening to us, I, 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 I get a sense sometimes as, as of, of, of criticism, whether you're, whether you're doing it as a, as, a, as an artist over a beer or, or, or critics at a panel. You, we're all busy sniffing in our own perceptions, the way dogs sniff each other in a dog run. Um, and, and I'm a cat know, person. We, I don't know. And there, there's, there's this pretense. I'm sorry, that's just the image that I have. Where were you going with that? Where are we going? Of any kind of discussion of Miss Wrist, I guess, is... is, 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 is discussion of what? Miss Wrist. Wrist. Pipilotti. Oh, Pipilotti. Oh. And you all hated the, the show too. It was the worst show in the world to you too. No, well, I, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I I loved what you I liked what you liked about it, which was its painterliness. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, the subject. I like this video. Let's no, it's the paint. Well, videoness, painterliness. That it's well, maybe it's just. Maybe we need to stop talking about medium when when what we mean is is is, is pure sensation, but. Um, does, does, the, does the stuff that she uses then become an obstacle or is it a vehicle? I mean, the, the Swiss... I mean, am I, am I obsessing that about Swissness? Corny. It's corny silliness, isn't it? And with these, um, uh, you know, cow... It looks like it's the, the, the tourist board kind of may, may have helped sponsor it in the way... A critique. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She hated the show. Of, mm. of um, what? Of identity, Swiss identity as being wholly mm. Swiss as opposed to, you know, I'm not incorporated. Well, the demography of Switzerland has changed in, in recent years, but. Um, but uh, I believe there is a critique there, that's why. Yeah. Is that there are different types of people in, this, in, in hiding here. Mm. But it's all about looking. I found, I found that, I found that at, at, its, at its best, it, it began to look like a, a, a Fabian Marcaccio actually in movement and, and, and with sound added. That's what was it at its best, and that was doing something good for me. I had a very pleasant, you know, hour in the show. Hour? An hour is not bad. Alex well, I had a long chat. said seven seconds. Yeah. Somebody just wrote that. Me, yeah. It was you. <laughs> Um, well, it was, it was you know, five minutes of the video and, and, and 55 minutes chatting up the receptionist, but it was still a very pleasant, I, it was a pleasant hour. These guys, it's unbelievable. Lady Hill. It's also her work, it's another piece, it's called the... We're pretending that wasn't there. We were hoping that was uh, an, uh, another artist, maybe an assistant, uh, yeah. The leaves and the little ball... Uh, yeah, those of us who like her are not talking about it, and those of us who those of us who hate her are, um, are dealing with the better work. I, think. I guess I'm, I'm finding myself thinking about criteria that 
when you deal with things like this, it's sort of, it, it's so, uh, the form is so elastic that you have nothing to compare it to. Mm -hmm. So all you can say is, I felt good yes. when I was there. Mm -hmm. I like the color, I like this, I like yes. that. Uh, you know, it's unlike painting or any kind of sure. traditional form. It's a fundamental problem can't, um, new media. But so partly like, we're, we can like exchange opinions about whether we liked it or not, mm -hmm. but none of that's going to be carry much weight. But, but like, but like a pop song, you know, they only last three minutes, and when they're over, they're just over. But, but that's they a very clear form. But they're like a whole like new weather system that moves in on you. You experience it, and that's a pretty good thing. Three minutes of, of bliss is not bad. But video and even if it's shallow, even if it's shallow. But a pop song is it, the effect of it is partly because you know it's a pop song in in a genre that you know, so it its resonance with other um, pop songs you've heard is part of the can't, experience. Did, can't art have the presence of that? Well, I'm saying Pipilati's work doesn't. You're not. Oh. It's not clear. Okay. I mean, Wolfgang still does because you you see it and you think, oh, Hudson River School painting and Gursky. You think of a whole bunch of things that are. Uh, a more thoughtful. Sort of, it's echoing with, and so it has this this kind of uh, it works as a work of art in your head, partly because of that. Okay. Okay. The hanging, I like the hanging. I mean, it's oh, in the room. The hanging objects that uh, it's like it's like, it's like dance, uh, it's like decorating for a dance club or something. A new kind of lens. That's not a bad idea. That she's finding lenses uh, that have been discarded in the culture. That wasn't bad. You know, a way that's of looking Tony, through I mean, our that's own one part. That's maybe the best, one of the best parts. And I look at that and I think, oh, Tony Craig. That's an interesting. Uh, yeah, you know, sculptural idea coming out. You of You guys want to get in this? Do you hate us? What's going on? Let's 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 I'm have let's, uh, let's have another uh, three minutes among ourselves, and then we will bring in uh, we will bring in the audience because I think Ken has touched on uh, a pretty fundamental and philosophical problem with um, uh, work in new media, and it, be, it 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 was there when we were discussing Justine Curland right at the beginning when there was a whole uh, notion of documentation and the documentary and the journalistic because it was photography rather than addressing it as, as image making. Um, you know, when we look at a Rack Straw Downs, you ask how it compares to Raphael, and when you look at a, a, a Pippi, Pippilotti wrist, you ask how it compares to the last Pippilotti wrist. Or, so, uh, installation and video are about my age, but still, they haven't really, to my, to what I can notice from, from reading about it, they don't seem to be generating uh, these media, uh, a canon uh, and, and, and a sense of collective memory that, that gives to the experience of the work uh, an experience uh, an ex uh, Sorry. to the experience of the work parents video. Some, something of um, the complexity that one has obviously with painting. Is that just because of its age or is it because these new media have this inherent need to be ephemeral? Well, this was Michael Fried's argument that it's it's really just theater. So it really just boils down to uh, our opinions about its entertainment value. He regarded that as trivial. Some of us regarded as profound. But um, anyone else on memory, or shall we bring in bring in? Let's 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 start. Can I moderate? No. They want to get in. Okay, I'm ready. I they hear. I hear. Alexi. They want out. I guess the first thing is, um, 
No, he doesn't. Yeah. So, I mean, the interesting question is about video as a medium. It seems to me that there are structures in the piece that we haven't haven't yet been talked about. That on the left hand side is the ocean, on the right hand side is Switzerland. They're kind of their opposites, and then. Um, the, and then the camera work is set up into the opposites too. So that half the time you're above, you're crawling up these bodies, you're super, super close, and even you know right in, in, inside the pockets of the waves and the ocean. The other half the time you're in a helicopter. It just seems like there's these big kind of clunky but clearly asserted structures in the piece that were meant to kind of parse through. And I, I agree that it's kind of loopy and sloppy and stuff like that. But I, I also enjoy the piece enormously at a kind of almost pre-critical, just like happy to be here level. And, and it seemed to me, to, to begin to think through how, you, how criticism handles video and its problems with video and the kind of amorphousness of the form in some ways would be, would start with the kind of structures that the video artist offers you. And following that, it just seems to me that's the show of these shows we've talked about that offers the most opportunities for criticism now, where, mm -hmm. you know, where the questions are most open-ended and hence new criteria or words or, you know, there's most, most work to do there. And, and I have, I'm not going to suggest where that should go because I don't know myself, but, but maybe the, the, the kind of simplest beginning would be to compare her to say you or Robin Hunt, who's another Swiss artist down the block. This, this particular show, you know, it's harder to compare, but if you think about the last few Robin Hunt His last yeah. video show was terrific. Right. This one... I like him, but I didn't know. I had no clue what this one was about. But I still like him. Yeah. Anything? Anyone else on Pippi Lottie? Specifically on Pippi Lottie, uh, and, and also somebody to take up what they've heard before from Alexia or wherever. Uh, Susan. Um, I think she, she. I have to say her name. It's so much fun. Pippi Lottie has tried to push video um, out of the. Fox screen. And I've seen her work for years, and she keeps trying to do it in inventive ways. Plus, uh, the idea of me of being surrounded by you know water and making making video more liquid and more fun is just uh, something I would want to keep following with her. Uh, you know, I take over a Bruce Nam video any day. Oh my God! Yes, of course. Does that mean it's better art? I enjoy being the presence of it. Mm -hmm. Does that mean it's better art? <laughs> this is the pop moment. I like it better. <laughs> I don't know if it's better art. You know, I, there are some artists. You know, if you like Nam, um, I don't, and I don't know. You know, he doesn't draw me. Well, I, I mean, I mean, I think, well, I, no, no, I want to hear from you, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, Alexia is making some good observations about mm -hmm. dissecting how it works, which is what a critic ought to do, and which I haven't done and didn't do, so I sounded kind of dumb. But, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. What was the strength I, of, of the center of Alexia's argument that you find you really agree with? Well, he, he was uh, making a case that um, there was a kind of formal and semiotic intelligence at work in what she was doing that wasn't immediately apparent to the 
you know, passing viewer. So therefore, you know, I, I start to feel convinced or uh, persuaded that maybe I should go back and look again. So that's, you know, that's good criticism. But it still leaves us with the question of, you know, does it matter how this thing relates to some other artist? Does it matter how it relates to Nauman or to a history of, and this isn't just video, it's yes. like, it's installation Anything. and it's kind of this, uh, you know, decorated environment that, Well, if, I think if we were to play the, the national stereotype game, the Swiss, the beauty of them is that they're sort of like four things at once, aren't they? I mean, they're four languages, and it seemed to me, you know, there are four official languages in Switzerland, and it seemed to me that each war was giving us a, a, like a, an official language. But, so that's, but I, 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 I'm, I'm not persuaded by, but I really like the possibility that um, there's a sort of dialectic or some organic working relationship between these very disparate elements within the work, whereas I saw it as, as four um, unreconciled bits. Yeah, I have to feel like, like she's dealing with something that I care about. I don't want to feel like, oh, it's, this is nice, this flows, this makes me cheerful, this, I can sit and relax. I gotta feel like there's, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that, but if it's art, I, there's something I gotta feel like engages my head in a, a more compelling way than, than that, I think. Like, which Nauman does, even though I don't like Nauman. I mean, Nauman's, uh, you know, People gasp. He's, he's tough. He's pretty hard on you, but he's... He's hard work, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, is, there, is it possible to have a video artist who's got the... Oh, who, who, is, a, who is an example, anybody, of a, of a, a video installation artist whose uh, visual sensibility is on a, uh, a par with the um, existential grappling and uh, semiotic kind of reconciliation that, that, some, that people are finding more satisfying, say, in Nauman? Is it, is she it, is. Wrist is. She has been in her work. I know you like look at me like I'm an idiot, but she has. In the she takes one. you to a, play, a, a pre-critical place, as somebody back there said. And I think that that's pretty phenomenal. The opium den, you know, that you're only looking at light, and yet you're experiencing something just short of ecstasy occasionally. Yeah. I mean, really. You, do, you try that. I've tried it. I can't do anything. You know, Jerry, over the summer, there was a, a news broadcast I heard on the hourly news. Our Lady had appeared um, in New Jersey in a blasted tree trunk. Um, the, she wasn't in France. She wasn't in the Pyrenees where she normally shows up. She was in our own garden state. Um, and, and people were bringing flowers. They were bringing, um, they were bringing candles. And of course, you had to be Catholic to see her. Um, and the, you know, I, I, I'm thinking that, that, that we're just like that. You know, believing is seeing. Um, it, it just like the people bringing the candles to this blasted tree. I mean, that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're all looking for a lady in a blasted tree, tree trunk. Um, only that it's Pippalotti wrist. <laughs> she is our lady. Does that make sense? Easy to laugh at <laughs> I mean, well, let's, let's, uh, we could, we could end with a rosary to people. Yes, absolutely. It's trans-inducing. It's, do, do you get my point? But I suggest we end by, uh, descending upon New York. Ladies and gentlemen, panel, thank you very much. <laughs>
ideas for that. We appreciate it. But thanks, David. Thank you.